Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to those here. Welcome to those joining us online. Man, I do love Baptism Sundays. They, they never get old as we witness this in this symbolic way what the gospel message is, that, that we have the opportunity through faith in Jesus to pass from death to life. And what we saw this morning, what we heard this morning from the testimonies in here and the testimonies uh, in the other auditorium with the kids of just this reminder of the goodness of God. And hopefully for you, for believers out there, that it restores within you the joy of your salvation as we get to witness and celebrate those uh, that had got baptized this morning. So thank you for being a part of that this morning. Hey, you hear us say all the time that our mission as a church is to help you grow in your journey with God, to take the next step in your journey with God. I, our goal as a church is that we would all live in this constant pursuit of all that God has for us. As we follow after him as our leader, as he leads us into the purposes that he has for our lives. That's the story of the Bible. And that's what we're witnessing as we dive into this year-long series we've called Relevant, as we are looking at how God's word is still relevant in our lives today. And over the last few weeks, we've just started looking at uh, the story of the beginning of the nation of Israel. And in a lot of ways, the, the journey of uh, the Israelites, their journey from slavery to freedom gives us a picture of our journey with God as well. Well, this morning we'll be in Exodus chapter 6. We'll pick up there in just a few minutes. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles or on your phones, I want to get you caught up to speed on where we are so far in the story of the nation of Israel. God makes a promise to this man, Abraham, that, that his descendants will be this great nation, and this nation will be a blessing to all the world. And along the way, through his sovereignty, uh, God raises up uh, his great-grandson Joseph to become the second in charge of Egypt. And through his leadership, he saves not only the country of Egypt, but the surrounding nations and even his own family from a great famine. So Joseph's 11 brothers move with him and they live in Egypt. And over time, their descendants become this great nation. There's large ethnic community that are residing inside of Egypt for over 400 years. Well, as time passes, there's a new Pharaoh who comes into power, and he gets intimidated by the size of this people group, numbering now in the millions of people. And he gets intimidated, and he wants to make sure that they don't throw him out of power, that they don't have some kind of coup. And so they end up, he ends up enslaving them in some really harsh conditions. And then he makes this edict that every Hebrew boy, baby boy, needs to be killed. Well, there's this special boy, Moses, who's born, and his mom hears about this, and she protects him. She puts him inside of a basket, and she floats him down the river, but he's rescued by Pharaoh's daughter, and he ends up growing up inside of the palace of Pharaoh. Well, later on in life, this man, Moses, begins to understand that he comes from the, the Hebrews, and he, he sees how they are being treated, and one day he kills one of the Egyptian slave masters. And he flees. And for 40 years, he lives in the wilderness in Midian, away from, from Egypt. And now at 80 years old, God comes to him and speaks to him through this burning bush. And he tells them, Moses, I, I have called you to go back to Egypt. You, you're going, I'm going to use you to rescue my people. And Moses gave all these excuses. He's like, God, you've got the wrong guy. I, I, I'm a murderer. I, I'm disqualified from what you want to do in my life. And besides, I can't speak all that well. And he has all these excuses but God doesn't relent, and he convinces them, no, you are my guy, and I'm going to send you over there. And as we've noticed throughout the, just the beginning part of this story, God has this habit for picking the least qualified people 
who have the biggest messed up lives to do the most amazing things through him, through, through them. And so now that's where Moses is. He finally gets the courage and he goes back to Egypt and he talks to, to Pharaoh and he utters those famous words that we all know. He says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, yeah, I don't think so. Not only do I not know your God, you're not taking my workforce that, that, that provides all of our, our work for our economy. And besides that, he gets really frustrated and mad because of these demands that Moses was making. And so he makes the conditions for the Israelites even harsher than it was before. But now the Israelites turn on Moses and they blame him for their treatment. And so Moses now goes back to God and says, God, I thought we had a plan here. I, I thought that you were going to use me to rescue them. And now they don't even want to hear from me anymore. And God sits him down and says, I want you to let them know these promises that I have for them. Found in Exodus 6. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. He makes these four promises to them. And God fulfills each of the promises in the lives of the Israelites and takes them from bondage and slavery and gives them a new identity as his people. And these promises still have application in our lives today. That's the journey that God wants to take us on through our lives. And there's this progression. There are these steps in this journey with God. God begins with telling them, I'm gonna bring you out of there. I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to relocate you. I, I need to do a work in you, but before I can do that, I need to save you. And that's the first step in our journey is salvation. Uh, for, for the Hebrews, it was salvation from the Egyptians. But for us, God wants to save us from our old way of life. He wants to save us from the weight and the, the wage of sin and death in our lives. And that happens in an instant. Scripture says that as soon as we placed our faith in Jesus, we are immediately saved. But that's just the beginning of what God wants to do in us. After he saves them, God says that I will free you from being slaves. Now, physically, they would have already been rescued. Physically, they would have been freed from their slavery. But, but there's still this, this old baggage that they're hanging around. There's these old thoughts, these old habits, these old belief systems about who God was and who they are that over time, he needs to free them from. And the same is true for us. The next step that he wants to do is to, to lead us to freedom. Salvation happens in an instant. We, we are made right with God immediately. But, but this next step takes time. It, it's a process. Just like them, there's a lot of junk hanging around in our lives, even after salvation, that, that we need freed from. Old habits, old hurts, old hang-ups that, that kind of drag us down. And over time, God wants to do a work, and he does this work, and he begins to change us from the inside out. And what you'll notice over time is that those old habits and those old attitudes don't have quite as much control over you as they used to. And that you begin to live a life with increasing freedom that allows you to walk more closely with God. But he's still not finished. His third promise to them and to us is, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. To, to redeem means to buy back or to restore. And so what God is telling them, what he's promising them is that he's going to use them. 
that he is going to restore them back to his original purpose for the nation, which is to bless the world around them. And that's the third step for us is restoration. As we journey with him, as he frees us, he frees us so that we can find our purpose in life, so so that we can make a difference, make an eternal difference in the world around us. You see, God sees things in us that we often don't see in ourselves. And when he looks at us, the the purposes that he has for our life, he he says that that we are his messengers, that we are his messengers of his gospel, that we are his ambassadors to the world around us, that, that we are the salt and the light. And he wants us to accomplish what he has created us to do and who he has created us to become. And then as he does this work in us, as he does this work in them, then he says that they will experience this fourth promise as well, that I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. In other words, he's saying, then you will experience life as I designed it, that you will find this fulfillment in life. And that's the fourth step that he wants. He wants to bring us to a place of fulfillment. That's the sweet spot of life where you're walking in freedom and you are experiencing this this personal relationship with your creator God and savior where you're hearing his voice where you are responding in boldness and responding in faith you're living a life that's marked by purpose it's marked by by love by peace that you experience this peace with God but you also experience this peace with others around you that's the good life that that's the full life when jesus says that i have come that you may have life and life to the full that's what he's referring to and that's where god wants to lead us he wants to save us he wants to rescue us from the power and the penalty of sin and then he wants to free us from our past he wants to to restore us to our purpose so that we can experience that fulfillment that satisfaction that resting peace in him that's what he promised to the israelites but right now they're still enslaved in egypt And so God began to bring a series of judgments against Egypt and against Pharaoh to to, to try to break his grip on the Israelites. And nine different times, Moses goes to Pharaoh and asks that he release the Israelites. And each time Pharaoh says no, God sends a different plague over top of Egypt. Frogs and gnats and flies and hail and locusts and darkness. But each time Pharaoh's heart gets harder and harder against God and he refuses so Moses goes to him one last time this tenth time and he warns Pharaoh God's patience with him has run out and he explains this tenth plague this way he says so Moses said this is what the Lord says about midnight I will go throughout Egypt and every firstborn son in Egypt will die from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her hand mill and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. This plague that God is going to to send will hit everyone, everyone in Egypt, Egyptians and Hebrews alike. But God said to the people of Israel, I I, I don't want your firstborn to die, so I'm going to give you a sign of faith. It's recorded in Exodus 12. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. 
God tells them, here is the sign of faith that you believe me and trust me. I want you to kill a lamb and anyone who has the blood of the lamb over their doorpost, I will pass over. That's where we get the term Passover, that God's judgment will pass over them. That's exactly what happened. God sends this 10th and final plague and in the middle of the night, Pharaoh finally relents. And he comes to Moses and Aaron and says, okay, go, leave. And God tells them as they are leaving, I I want you to remember this day. I I want you to mark your calendars. I want you to reorient your entire calendar and your entire lives about remembering and celebrating this feast of Passover. So that's what happens. Year after year, the nation of Israel would gather together and they celebrated these Passover meals. And every year they would use the meal to to retell the story of God's salvation and redemption. And they would remember how an innocent lamb had to be killed for their salvation. And they would be reminded of who they used to be, of what they used to do, of, of their lives that were spent in slavery. And they would use it as a reminder of the promises of God, these same four promises that are found in Exodus 6, and they would recite those to one another year after year. And for the next 1,400 years, They do this year after year. They celebrate Passover. And along the way, God begins to send these prophets to them. And they would tell them that that this this meal and this sacrificial system that that you're trying to to do, they're just a shadow. We have to kill a lamb every year as this temporary sacrifice to cover our sins. But one day, there's going to be coming someone. There'll be one who will fulfill all of God's requirements. He's the Messiah. And then one day in the Gospel of John, there's this crazy looking prophet, John the Baptist, who comes on the scene. And he wears, it wears really strange clothes, and he has this odd diet of eating locusts and honey, and he has this fire and brimstone attitude about him, and he's constantly telling people all the things that they need to repent of and to be baptized. And people would come day after day, and they began to ask him the question Are you the one? Are, are you the Messiah, the one that the prophets have been talking about all these years? And he said, that's not me. And I'm not even worthy of holding that guy's sandals, but he's coming. But my job is just to make the way clear for the one that we've been waiting on, this Messiah that we've been waiting centuries for. And then one day, John is on the banks of the Jordan River doing what he does, baptizing the people that are coming to him. And he sees Jesus out in the crowd, and he says this, look, behold, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And this declaration, this pronouncement of John is the hinge on which the whole Bible swings. The Old Testament, with all its sacrifices and sacrificial systems and and the prophecies of the prophets, they, they pointed to the one that would finally fulfill God's requirements. And then John says, this is it. This is the lamb of God, not just another lamb. He's the one we've been waiting for. And his purpose is that he's gonna take away the sins of the world, your sin and mine, once and for all. Well, three years later, Jesus is a day away from fulfilling his purpose by going on the cross. And he gathers his disciples, his 12 guys that he's been pouring into the last three years, and they gather together to have the Passover meal. And this is what Jesus says. 
says, he took the bread, and he gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. He says, this is my body. In other words, what I'm going to do on the cross tomorrow is the fulfillment of what happened at Passover. I, I am the last lamb. Tomorrow I'm going to a cross and, and I'm gonna give my life for you just like the lamb did. And so just as, you, as you've eaten the rest of this meal to remember the, the freedom from Egypt from centuries ago, moving forward when you eat this bread, I want you to do that in remembrance of the ultimate freedom that I'm going to give you. Freedom from your past, freedom from your sin, freedom from your guilt. And then he says, my spilled blood will bring in a new covenant. The, the old covenant was a covenant of the law, which, which is a problem for us because we're not good law keepers. But Jesus says, no, that this new covenant will be a covenant of grace. And Jesus is saying that my blood that's gonna be spilled for you, it, it's gonna cover over your law breaking. And, and I'm gonna take away your sin. 1,400 years before the cross, God set this all up in the Passover meal. And on that night, in that upper room, with those guys, Jesus said, it's all about me. It, it's always been about me. And now it's complete. Now it's finished. Well, now maybe you're here and you're thinking, can, can we really connect what Jesus is saying there in the upper room with the Passover meal? Well, I'm glad you asked. First Corinthians says it this way. It says, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Jesus is at the heart of God's redemption story. From beginning to end, it is all one story of God's redemption through his son, Jesus. And so I want to spend just a few minutes looking at how it is that Jesus fulfills the description of the Passover lamb. The first is that the lamb was perfect. The animals that you choose, Exodus 12 says this, the animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. Peter would describe Jesus this way in 1 Peter 1. He says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. But no, you, you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And, and here's why that's so important. is because only the clean can take care of the unclean. Only the, the perfect can take care of the imperfect. And what scripture says is that Jesus was pure, that he was holy, that he was without blemish, that he was without sin. And in his perfect life, it forces me to, to take a look at my life and see how it compares. And as I look at my life, I, I recognize that a lot of times I'll fall short of my own standards, much less the standards of a holy and pure God. And then I look at my life and that there have been numerous times where I have lived in direct opposition to, to God's commands. And as we begin to think about that, if you begin to think about that, it, it, it brings you to this kind of a hopeless spot because I can't undo what I've already done. And so there's no way that I could ever attain to the standard of perfection to be in a right relationship with a holy God if it comes down to me. I can't do that on my own. 
But Jesus says, I want to give you a new hope. And it's the hope that comes through forgiveness because I did what you couldn't do. I, I lived the perfect life before God that you couldn't. He was the perfect and the pure lamb. The second, that the lamb was sacrificed. Uh, in Exodus 12, 6, it says, Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. God's perfection, his holiness, his, his justice, it, it requires that all sin debt be paid. The, the, the lesson of Passover is that, yes, deliverance is available, but it comes at a price. It's the price of the death of an innocent lamb. Later on, God would give the, the prophet Isaiah a vision of what Jesus' death on the cross and his sacrifice on the cross, what that would look like. In Isaiah 53, it says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The, the punishment that brought us peace it was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Our sin, our, our rebellion, our missing the mark of God's perfection, it demands payment. It demands payment before a holy God. And so when we think about Jesus, the, the one that we love, the one that we serve, the, the lamb that we love and we serve, he, he didn't just die for our sins. No, it says that he was pierced pierced for our transgressions, not his. He, he was punished. He was wounded. He was crushed. He, he bore the full penalty that our sins deserved, and he suffered, and he sacrificed himself to pay the price that we owed. He was the sacrificial lamb before God. And the third is that the lamb was the substitute. But Paul describes what Jesus did on the cross this way in Romans 3, he said, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of blood to be received by faith. And the word atonement, it, it's, a, it's a religious word that it comes from the language of the temple back in the Old Testament. In Leviticus 16, it, it describes and explains what the day of atonement is. One day a year, the high priest would go out and he would get two goats one of the goats would be, would be sacrificed as an offering, and it was representing someone giving their life for the forgiveness of the sins of the whole nation. And the other goat, the priest would place his hands on and, and pronounce all of the sins of the entire nation on its head for the entire year. And then they would take that goat out into the wilderness, and they would let it go. And it was a sign that their sins were being forgotten that their guilt was being taken away from them. And this is what Jesus fulfilled. God created this plan of substitution on the cross that the sins of the entire human race were laid on his head. And Jesus became the, the biggest murderer, the biggest adulterer, the biggest thief, the biggest rebel that there ever was. He, he became the hypocrite who lived a double life. He became the liar, the proud, the selfish. He, he became all of those things, and he died for them so that our guilt could be taken away from us, so that we could be declared innocent of them. And Jesus received all of the rebellious lives that you and I have ever lived, and, and the wrath of God, the judgment of God, was poured out on him 
so that it would never have to be poured out upon his children. And our sins are forgiven and our guilt is removed. Jesus died for every sin that you've ever committed, every sin that you will ever commit. And he gave his life to cover it, to, to, to cover over it. Jesus is the, the perfect Passover lamb. He is the perfect sacrificial substitute. But just like the Israelites in that first, pers- that first Passover, who had to actually apply the blood of the lamb over the doorpost if they wanted to receive God's mercy, the same thing is true for us, that the sacrifice must be personally applied. You, you must apply it to your own life. It's not just this generic understanding of, oh yeah, I believe that there is a God. It, it's this conscious decision of faith that, that I am claiming Jesus' sacrifice as the payment for my sin. And if you do, one day you want to stand before a holy God in judgment and he will say, your debts are covered by the blood of the lamb. So, so my judgment will pass over you. You're covered. You're not going to get what you deserve. And in fact, instead, you're going to get something you could never earn. Mercy and grace and forgiveness because you have applied the blood of the perfect Passover lamb to your life and it's done in faith. It's done in faith. It's done in a faith that that says that you're now set free, that you're now considered a son or a daughter of God and that you have a new direction to walk in where you get to experience these promises of God that we talked about before, that we we get to experience what salvation actually is. You you know that you have the forgiveness of your sins, that it's no longer held against you, but but God offers more than that. He says, no, I I want want to free you from not just the the penalty of sin, but also the, the power of sin, that you don't have to live a stuck life. You can actually experience real change and lasting change in your life. And I'm going to give you a new direction. I'm going to restore you back to who I created you to do or created you to, to be. I'm going to give you a purpose. I'm going to invite you to be a part of my mission, to make an eternal impact in the world around you. I'm going to let you experience what life and life to the full looks like and feels like. As I lead your life as your leader and your Lord, God offers all of that to us through Jesus. From the very beginning, God was laying out his story and his plan of redemption through Jesus, who became the final Passover lamb. But it comes down to you applying by faith what Jesus did on your behalf. And if you've never done that, I want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. In prayer, you can go to God and say, I want to apply what he did on my behalf and be forgiven. Let's bow in prayer. If you want to receive that, you can just pray this prayer with me. You say, Jesus, I, I admit that I need a Savior. I have lived life my own way. But I believe that you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who takes away my sin. And I believe that when you died on the cross, they accounted for me. And so today I, I accept your freedom. Today I accept your forgiveness. And in return, I, I give you my life. And I will follow you with all that I have. 
for the rest of my life. And Father, for the rest of us, thank you that there is a Passover that's available to each of us. God, we want to walk in this day and every day mindful of the price that was paid, that our salvation is free, but it came at a terrible price. You, you sacrificed your own sons that we could be adopted into your family. That we walk in freedom as we follow after you, our good and loving God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer this morning, or if you have questions about what it means to follow after Jesus in faith, I'd love to talk to you after the service. Get some resources in your hands and help you take these next steps. We'll see you back here next week, guys.